Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. Well, while you stay standing, just grab your Bible out and let's open to 1 Corinthians. We're gonna kind of come out of this in the series that we're in. And I wanna show you a passage of Scripture by Paul the Apostle, 1 Corinthians. And let's go to chapter 9, verse 19. Let me read it with you. It says, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Powerful. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I wanna bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. We're gonna continue today in our series, New Era, talking about evangelism. I wanna to preach to you from the subject, the way to win. The way to win. How many people like to win here at Vive Church? Well, you're in good company today. I want you to do something. I want you to find someone to irritate real quick and say, I'm so glad that you're sitting next to me. Would you do that real quick? Find someone that you just wanna nudge and elbow, shoulder bump during the sermon. Amen. Go ahead and grab your seat all across this place. Welcome, everybody. So good to see you, everybody online, everybody who's in the house. I love when people wave at me when I say hello. It's so nice for the interaction. Feel free to interact today. And if you're too distracting, Chihuahua, we will remove you. Amen. Hey, Chihuahua, my brother's here today. This is my brother, Ash, everybody. Ash, all the way from Australia. He is my youngest brother. He's the baby of the family, and uh, he is six years younger than me. I don't know what my parents were thinking, but they just paced it out, and uh, they uh, had Ash. Ash grew up uh, under the covering, I would say the protection, the mentorship of me. He, uh, <laughs> under the discipleship somewhat as well. He actually served in our youth ministry uh, back in the day and uh, caused me no end of trouble. However, Ash did get a front row seat, or actually say a back row seat to life. He not only worked with me in different seasons at the church, in electrical business, uh, it's always good to have a younger brother when you have to crawl through roof spaces. He's like, Ash, earn your money. And I don't think I even paid you. I think I gave you work experience. You're welcome. I did did get your lunch though. So, uh, but not only was he with me on work experience, when Kira and I started dating at 16, 17 years old, when we started dating, Ash was our chaperone. 
Mom, we're old school, like Christian dating. Any, any Christian daters in here? You know, we had to have a chaperone. The rest of you are just Silicon Valley, okay. <laughs> California. <laughs> but he had, to, he had to chaperone us. That's why he had a back seat, like not a front seat. He had a, he's in the back seat. Like, he, he got to witness romance in action. <laughs> he got to witness the way I would pick up Kira, the way I would open a door for her, the way I'd buy her flowers. She'd get in the car and she'd say, hey, honey, hey, Ash. You know, she would literally acknowledge, just, just silently spectating, monitoring. Uh, but Ash would get the front row seat to life. What a setup. What a setup. He's married now with three kids. I want to tell his wife, you're welcome, because Ashley learned everything from me. As a chaperone, it was a gift. He hated it, but it was a gift that he didn't even see coming. Now he is absolutely winning at husbandry. He is winning as a parent. He is winning at life. And you are so stinking welcome, bro. So welcome, so welcome. In fact, how many people know there are winners and losers in life? Believe it or not, there are winners and losers in the game of evangelism. In this series, we are essentially reorienting our approach to this idea of evangelism. Evangelism being a word that will either evoke some excitement in you or some anxiety, depending on your personality. I know for some of us here who are like crazy, like just bold Christians, they're like, the moment we say it's evangelism series, they're like, let's go front row, I'm here. But then most of us, when we hear the word evangelism, a little bit of anxiety comes up, a little cold sweat starts to come. The idea of having to share your faith with maybe a stranger, or even worse, someone you know. Because <laughs> all of a sudden you think about how have I been modeling this up until now? <laughs> and uh, that, that whole premise could be a little bit scary, and, and, and so we maybe skip out on this series. But, but I do want to let you know that the idea of evangelism Something we need to establish today is that it's not simply a special school for a select group of believers, but in fact, an expectation of every single saint. Don't get me wrong, the Bible certainly talks about the office of the evangelist, that there is a specific calling and curated, God calls evangelists. However, sharing the gospel, which is evangelism, is the great commission that Jesus gives to all of us. We see the way he puts it in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He says, and he told them, go into all the world, more specifically, our world's and preach the good news. Our worlds, maybe I could clarify it for you just to make sure you know what the Bible's talking about, is your worlds, your family, uh, your community, your workplace. I know what you're thinking, pastor. Not my workplace. My workplace don't permit me preaching. I get fired. People are getting fired a lot lately for many reasons. Why not for sharing the gospel? Amen. He's with me. <laughs> Who's in? We're all doing it. <laughs> but there's many reasons people get fired. Why are you there? I love preaching old school evangelism. Like, like to recognize that God provides everything, that every promotion is from God, and that if God's promoting me, He's increasing my influence for a purpose. And, and, and yet, sometimes we look, oh, oh I can't. I can't do that in my workplace. I, I'm not permitted. Guess what? You're actually in great company because the people Paul was writing to were also not permitted. 
not just in their workplace, but in society. There was persecution against the church for being part of the way. And yet Paul is urging them and giving them strategies on the way he evangelizes. And, and this is what we have in the church in Corinth. In Corinth. They were facing real opposition for their faith. Much like the Silicon Valley, Corinth had a reputation of sexual immorality, religious diversity, and corruption. It was also a strategic location since it was at the heart of of what was an important trade route in the ancient world. And true to Paul's nature, what Paul liked to do is he loved to plant churches that wouldn't just influence that city, but he liked to plant churches in cities that would influence the world. That's what Paul loved to do. That's a great strategy, Vance. Vive does that. Anyway, like he liked to plant churches, not in just some backlot town, but in a prominent city that would be positioned so that what happened in that city, the culture would then affect the world. Paul was a strategist. Anybody ever studied Paul? Anybody study anything about the Apostle Paul? Looking for some interaction? Four of us, five of us who go to the Paul group? Okay, the Paul support group, that's... <laughs> There's a, uh, there's a strategy to what Paul, he's so strategic. Paul's an intelligent guy. And there was so much intelligence in the way that he took the mandate from God, the commission from God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul got strategic about it. He didn't just go blindly, he went boldly. There's a big difference, by the way. God does not call us to blind faith. He calls us to bold faith. Bold faith does not mean I don't have intelligence. I gotta be strategic, but I gotta get the confidence to be coupled with my intelligence. Anybody intelligent here? Any any intelligent people? 25% of us? Not a trick question. I'm really worried about the rest of you. Worried about your self-identity right now. Let me give you another chance. Any intelligent people here? Just so I can, better, okay. Thought I had another series to preach all of a sudden. You're intelligent people. Paul was intelligent. He He had a strategy, he had a plan. And in an effort to encourage the church, what we've got in 1 Corinthians chapter nine is we literally have the apostle and he's writing to the church that he planted, by the way, He's gone on to plant other churches, but he's writing back to them because of their strategic position within society. And he's urging them to share the gospel, to share their faith, but he's revealing his strategy of evangelism, which also involves a dynamic flexibility of personality. You see, Paul, what he does is he presents several settings in which depending on the setting, you'll actually find a specific Paul. Can we go back to the text for a moment? It says this in verse 20. He says, uh, to the Jews, I became a Jew. To those under the law, I became one as under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. Several distinct settings that represented both portions of Paul's past and his present. Aspects of his life, aspects of his background, aspect of what he had been through and who made him who he is today. Paul does not ignore the past. He uses the past and he brings the dynamics of the past and presents them that in different settings that required an adaptation of his presentation to ensure effective communication. This was Paul. Drawing with intelligence some dynamics to the way that he would share the gospel. 
So what we find, in fact, in my favourite verse, the one that I think sums it all up, has to be this. I have become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. Now, now maybe I need to make sure I clarify what Paul isn't saying because I know how it's all going to be taken. I know y'all. I know how it's like, oh, all things to all men, every setting. That's why I'm in the bar, pastor. No, no, I'm not talking about... (laughs) What What Paul was not doing was he was not suggesting he was a chameleon. Someone just changed his message and his methods with each new situation. Paul was not with the new ages, all of a sudden putting a new age spin on how God is celestial and the stuff. No, he wasn't doing mysticism all of a sudden because that fit in with what people could palate. No, 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 Paul's message was clear, but his method was flexible. I speak to people all the time who they come into Vibe Church and they're like, wow, it's so different. You know, I'm used to real traditional stuff. I'm used to that. I'm like, That's great. But what you're gonna find is the message is the same. But the method changes. Please, Lord, let the method change. Please, Lord, just the way culture has changed and society changed and outfits change and think, could we be relevant in a way that we take the timeless message but we put a methodology on it that would reach people and be effective and not distant and disconnected? Please, Lord. Please. What Paul was doing all the way back here, he's like, "Uh, my method, my method, my message of Christ does not change. But my method is flexible. It's adaptable. It's intelligent. He uses things. He draws from things. He, in other words, is not suggesting that he compromises. But let me put it this way. Paul was not a politician. He was an ambassador. That's a good distinction. Paul wasn't political trying to please the audience in front of him. He was an ambassador. So it doesn't matter what you think. This is what I know. But let me try and help you see what I see. Let me try and communicate in a way where you can feel what I've felt. His purpose in presenting this to the church was actually to reveal that when it comes to evangelism, there is a distinct way to win. There's a, there's a distinct way to win. I was in Miami recently, just the other week, and Miami is different. This is what I'm convinced about the United States of America. It's 52 countries in one. The minute you go out of your state border, you're in a whole new land. You're in a foreign land. And those Floridians, anybody from Florida? Oh, hey. We love you. You are welcome here. Am I speaking too fast? I'll slow it right down. I'll I'll, I'll pace it down. I'm messing. I'm playing. I'm playing. (laughs) And we were in Miami and we're hanging out with some friends and we're having a great time. Had some pastor friends there and... It was awesome. Had a group of folks and, and we, were, we were just laughing and chatting. And then I'm looking at my watch because it's 10.30. And if you know me, I've got a strict regimen. 10.30 is my bedtime. Okay, I like to be in bed at 10.30. I also like to be asleep by 10.31. <laughs> it's pretty clear, all right? Kira's got 60 seconds to talk to me before it's lights out. In bed, go, all right? Yeah, I'm out. And so we're out, we're still, we're still having dinner. We're still talking and chatting and laughing. And I'm kind of like looking at my, anybody know what I'm talking about? You're looking at the watch like I'm planning my bedtime. I'm like really excited about it, pumped. And, um, and then my pastor friend, he, he, he says, hey, uh, hey, Adam, do you want to play pickleball? And I was like, oh yeah, I mean, this is a great exit. I'll just look at my schedule. I got my phone now. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I've got a few meetings this week. And he's like, no, no, no I'm talking about now. 
I'm like, I don't know how you do it in Miami, but in the Silicon Valley, we go to bed because we've got a big day tomorrow, you know, we've got stuff to do, businesses to build, you know, that kind of thing. And he's like, no, no, we're, like, we're going, no. I said, how? It's, it's 10.30 at night. He's like, well, my, my neighbor literally has built a pickleball court in his front yard. And he invites everyone from the street. He put a light out there so that it lights up the whole area. I'm like, you're going to wake your friend? He's like, no, no, he'll be waiting. Sure enough, because like Vance and Kim are there and they're like, we're in, we love pickleball. So we, we, we go at 11, by now it's 11 o'clock at night because I debated for half an hour. By the time we get there, it's 11 p.m. at night. We're in Miami, it's balmy, it's amazing. But we rock up to this, sure enough, full lit pickleball court, official size, marked out lines, everything. Net, the whole thing, paddles, everything. And sure enough, his neighbor is sitting there. <laughs> sitting there. Cooler with drinks, just in case someone from the neighborhood at that time of night wants to play pickleball. You should have seen this guy light up. Man, it was like, hey, we're here, we're gonna play. We, not only were there pastors there and colleagues and friends, but there was a pro tennis player as well. I thought, this is my moment. I told them, I'm gonna win and it's gonna make it into a sermon. I didn't win but it still made it into the sermon. How many people know that God doesn't waste anything? Ain't that the truth? God won't waste an illustration. God doesn't waste anything. In fact, God doesn't waste your past. I know the way we approach our past is we would love God to forgive and forget. Wouldn't that be so handy? Like if somehow we could just, when we get forgiven and we get sanctified, redeemed, that that moment, old memory of it gets wiped from our brain. That we don't carry any inkling of those hurts, we don't carry any jaded perspectives, that we would actually walk so free from our thought life that our past wouldn't even haunt our future because God set us free. That's not how God works, by the way. God forgives, but He doesn't forget for a purpose. We want God to forget. We want to forget. But a better prayer to pray than God would you forget our past is a request, God, would you use my past? This is a way more mature prayer that you could pray as a redeemed believer, as a saint, as a follower of Jesus Christ to not ignore your past or regret your past or even carry shame from your past, but to say, God, here is my past. It is what it is. Thank you for what you did. Now, would you use it? Now would you use it? Would you, would you take it and do something with it so that it just doesn't live in the regret of it? Now, this is ultimately God's plan with your past. I see this with Paul, because even as an apostle, Paul had a pretty dynamic past that became pivotal in presenting the gospel. Paul didn't just get this new call from God and then erase everything. And start, no, he leveraged who he was, what he'd been through, his experiences, and brought his past into whatever present he was in. I, I wanna show you some examples in Scripture. If, you would, if I can bore you with some biblical knowledge for a moment, if that's okay with you. I don't know what else you came here for, but if you came here for the Bible, you're in the right place. For instance, what we see is a student, Paul, studied under a guy named Gamaliel, a teacher of Jewish law and philosophy, who was actually very selective in the students that he would choose because he was held in such high esteem by all the Jews. He was like, he, he, was, he, he, was, he was a master Jedi. <laughs> he, was, he was a master uh, teacher and rabbi, which 
This whole thing, the fact that he studied under him came in handy when in Athens, it, talking to the Greek philosophers. You see, in Acts chapter 17, we find that Paul was evangelizing to the Athenian council at a place called Mars Hill. This place where all the Greek philosophers love to rally together and they love to debate the different thoughts, nuances of ideologies, religions, concepts, philosophies, and they love to argue it out. That's what they did all day long. Socrates, Plato, all these people who would love to talk about the ideas and nuances and theories and philosophies and foundations of life. Paul's like, that's the place I gotta be. Paul didn't shy away from the big stages. He's like, that's where I gotta be if that's where they're discussing stuff. But what Paul does is he does something extremely unique. Can I show you in Scripture? It's in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. He says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the area of Pegasus, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Paul does something dynamic. He doesn't just do what most Christians do when they go through a wicked place. Because it was a wicked place. They had so many idols, false idols, uh, uh, carved idols, images of different gods and Greek mythology. He was walking through that like a, like a saint in a sinner's world. He's in there like not going, hmm, so evil here. All these people partying and drinking and judging. That's how most people walk through the Bay Area. Do you know how many people I talk to when I'm traveling? They say, where, where do you pastor? And I say, Silicon Valley. Oh, brother, 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 brother. brother. I've even had someone have a spontaneous intercession moment right there when I was like, let's pray for you. And I'm like, hey, I already prayed. But that's how most people approach the evil world with judgment. Paul didn't walk through going, oh, look at all these wicked idols. No, he, he's learning. He's studying. And he sees one in particular, unknown God. He's like, that's my goal. That's my door. That's my moment right there. And he leverages the unknown idol to them. And he says, what you see is unknown. Let me tell you who I know. Masterful. Masterful. He... He uses his intellect. He uses his upbringing. He reveals his strategy of first finding common ground. That was his wedge. Having so many gods that they weren't certain about, he showed the one God he was certain about. Out of that conversation, we, we find like some of the early founders of the church, Dionysus, Damaris. These were part of the Periagogus and they actually literally became part of the early church. Intelligent philosophers that were one to Jesus Christ. On the other occasion in Acts chapter 22, we find the apostle witnessing in front of the Jewish council. Strategically, what he does is he draws from his upbringing in the Jewish customs and his understanding of the Hebrew language to build a bridge to his audience so that they could hear his testimony. It says this in verse one of chapter 22, brothers and fathers, 
hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are at this day. He, he leveraged connection points. He found common ground. His tone was not uh, against them, but was finding ways to connect. So intelligent, so strategic. He was purposeful. A little further down, we find Paul in another tricky situation. Can I show you one more example? He'd been arrested by some of the religious leaders and they were plotting to kill him. And then we see him strategically use now his Roman citizenship to not only escape the plot against his life, but also, that's not Paul's MO. He's not just trying to get out of trouble. He's trying to get before prominent people. And so he leverages his Roman citizenship, not only just to get out of being killed, but then he appeals to the governor. Governor Felix, check this out, Acts 22, verse 23. Then he called, this is the Roman centurion, called two centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. That's a lot. This guy's under guard. And go as far as Caesarea in the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Check this out. Claudius, Lysias, he says, he's excellent, the governor of Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. Paul's strategy was consistent. It was to use his past, drawing from the subset of experiences that he had walked through in life to find common ground. This is how God uses us too. Even at times using what we would consider our worst seasons and even sometimes our random upbringing for an incredible purpose. Anybody got a random upbringing? Like compared to the fact that you're a Christian now, like your upbringing has, makes no sense. That God would call you out of that. Like some of you all got random upbringings. We were in New York last week and we were meeting with innovators and founders and faith leaders and tech entrepreneurs and the whole conversation was around innovation and acceleration of companies and how do we apply faith into that. And there's this one girl that we met and she's a Buddhist. And then the next thing I know, you've got Kim who comes from a Buddhist background witnessing to her and she leads this girl right in front of me to Christ. I said, Kim, that's not what we're here for. But sometimes what you think is just a random upbringing is the very tool that God wants to use in the way you evangelize and use your story to see what God has done. If you're just saying, God, I wish, I, I wish that wasn't a part of my past, you'll miss the opportunities that God is. You understand what I'm saying here? In fact, this was Paul's conclusion. I love it. He says that he runs with purpose in every step. Actually, my favorite verse has to be verse 24. I'm sure it's yours too. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. So run to win. Everyone runs, not everyone, because I started a challenge the other day, a running challenge. Eight people joined me. It was designed for the entire church. 
Actually, it was designed for the global church. That, this was the plan. And I put it out there for the global church that we were gonna rally enough people because it was like 120 days to Amen conference. And I thought, this is brilliant. Let's run to Amen. You were in agreement, right? Amen. And uh, we're gonna run. It was gonna be like, and, and to start out, I, I figured if we got enough people running in this challenge, we'd actually do a lap of the earth. We'd do a circumference of the globe. And I was so pumped. Dude was pumped. He's not even a runner. And we literally were like so excited, but then eight people said, I'm in. So we quickly pivoted, and uh, now we're running around the block. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a big block. But honestly, what, what fascinates me, every time I ask someone to join the challenge, they said, I hate running. I don't know if you all had a meeting to conspire against my challenge, but everyone repeated the same thing. I hate running. I get so angry by the 10th time I heard this, I said, everyone hates running. Nobody likes running. We like the results of running. Now run. (laughs) Nobody likes running. This was crazy. No one just says, you know what I really feel like doing? I feel like running, getting my heart rate up and just sweating. I really feel like, no, I know what I need to do. I need to run. Feeling a little bit flabby. I need to, you know what I mean? The motivation isn't the heart palpitating, dying on the concrete pathway. The motivation is I need to move. I like the results. People forget that. It's not about running. Paul says when you run, run to win. You've got to win the results. Get stuck in the running. My wife, my wife used to love inspirational workout clothes. You know those tops that have like a little positive message on it? She used to buy them all the time. I love reading them. One of the favorite ones is, was, be stronger than your excuses. <laughs> so good. Looking in the mirror, stronger. No excuses today. Inspirate, draw inspiration. I saw one the other day, it was, this is complex, no pain, no gain, but it was K-N-O-W, like no pain, Deep. It's deep. I think it's just meant to distract you from the workout, so you're sitting there thinking about it the whole time. I like the one that says, I don't sweat, I sparkle. I saw a dude wearing that, that's hilarious. My favorite one was one I saw the other day, and it was so for our church. I hate running, but I love pizza. That was motivation in and of itself. You don't like running, but you do love pizza. Time to run so you can eat that pizza. Amen. But I'm starting my own club, running club. And we're going to make our own shirts. And on the front, it is going to say, I hate running. But on the back, it will say, I love the results. Because that is the whole purpose. That is the evangelism strategy for Paul. Paul said, I run with purpose in every step. With every step. He says, I, I, I running... I'm not running just to run. He's like, why would you run just to run? Run to win. Put some purpose to your running. Put some strategy to this thing. Don't just get out there and blab this gospel. Think about it. Be intelligent. Use a strategy in place because the goal is to win. 
There is a way to win. There's a way to win. There's a way to win. Let me show you the way to win because what we actually see is there is a theme that runs through this entire address to the Corinthians and Paul gives you the way to win in evangelism. If you're gonna do this thing, this Christian life, let me give you the way to win so clearly so that you can import the win into your life. The run with purpose in every step. And there is a theme that runs through the whole address. He, he makes it evident. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's hard to see it first, but once you see it, you won't be able to ignore it. It's so blatant and so evident and repetitive throughout this whole section. Let me read it again to you. Verse 19, he says, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to law, I did this so that I could bring Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles, I do not follow the Jewish law. I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness for I wanna bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Verse 26, so I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul puts the emphasis on I. I. This is the way to win. This is the way to win. This is how to evangelize with purpose. He puts the emphasis on I. You see, Paul understood something significant about evangelism. Evangelism isn't telling people who they should be. Evangelism is revealing to people who I've become. That's, that's what Paul is sharing. He ain't out there trying to tell them who they should be and how they should act and what they should do. He's put the emphasis on I. You should have known me before, but look what I've become. This is who I am. This is how I live. This is what God's done in my life. He literally goes into spaces and he says to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To these, I became like this. Paul had become so many things through what Christ had done in his life. He leveraged every single one of them to show what Christ had done. Doesn't forget his past, but in contrast to his past, look at who I've become now. You know what's better than trying to get people to run? Is let them see the results. That'd be great. If the results spoke for themselves. Ain't there yet. But if they did, that would be great. That you don't have to try and challenge your church to go on a running thing. They're just like, Pastor, how do we do that? How do we get like that? Let, let me sign up, whatever I have to do. That's what Paul's method was. This was my life. Look at my life now. Let my life glorify God. I'd have anxiety too if I had to go and tell people how to live. But I find freedom in just showing what Christ has done. Powerful. What a strategy. What a strategy. What a strategy, Paul. Kept revealing who he'd become in all settings. When it comes to signing people up to the challenge, the process is not attractive, but the results should speak for themselves. Would you stand to your feet in this place? I gotta, I gotta wrap up for time, but I would like to minister for a moment. I would like to minister in such a way where we 
allow some freedom to flow in areas that have been hindered, sometimes by fear, hesitation, sometimes by the wrong understanding. Some of you have declared you're not a public speaker, and that's fine. No one has to be a public speaker, but you do have a testimony of what God's done in your life that I believe is the key to unlocking somebody else's future. What God's done in your past is their future, and sometimes requires some boldness to couple with it. But I love what God does. He doesn't just give us a message. He gives us His Spirit. We see this in the upper room as the apostles gathered together and the Holy Spirit was poured out. The Bible literally says boldness came upon them. It's another name for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of boldness. As a result, Peter literally came out of the upper room while they were still hunting for them and began to preach with boldness. 3,000 people came to Christ. I wanna pray that spirit of boldness on people. And this is for those that you have a desire to share your faith. You have a desire to run with purpose in every step. But you feel the fear, the anxiety, and the hesitation. And you know it's not just strategy, it's I need the Spirit of God. I need to overcome those things. Now I'm gonna pray for some people who you feel like your message is voided because of the way you've lived. That you've modeled a life that is contrary to you sharing a gospel message. My argument would be there is a beautiful moment for contrast to show them how to live and how to walk with God. I'm gonna pray for those two people, two, two groups of people. So with every head bowed, every eye closed all across this place, I wanna to minister for a moment. If you're saying, I need the spirit of boldness, I, I wanna share the gospel. I wanna be a witness for God. I wanna win my world, but I need the strength and the power and the boldness of heaven. Would you lift your hands? I'm gonna pray this upon you. God, you see every single hand right now. You see every single heart right now. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, by your power, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that filled the upper room, the same Holy Spirit that filled the apostles with boldness, would your same Spirit, the same Spirit, the same Spirit fill each and every life right here. Everybody in every setting, in their family, in their workplace, in their community. God, in every sphere, would they find a new boldness? Lord, would they find an audaciousness? Would they find an appetite? Lord, would they also find a clarity? The Lord, You would speak with clarity. Would they find their words forming? God, that they would not be tongue-tied or twisted or hesitant or afraid, but would they be articulate and intelligent and strategic in the way they draw from their past and what You've done in their life to speak a life-transforming message. God, I pray that the results would speak for itself. I pray for those that have lived a life somewhat contrary to the message they wanna preach, but God, You would redeem their life, You would redeem their habits, You would redeem their behaviours, and they would be like a contrast on life before Christ to life with Christ. I pray that You would use them to glorify You, that God would even use the weak things of this world to confound the wise, that they would take what's weak and that You would make them strong. God, we pray this power upon them. In the mighty Name of Jesus, fill every heart, every life, every position of influence. I pray for promotions. For those that would honour You with those platforms, God, I pray that You would promote them. Promote them to new spheres of influence that they would be positioned so powerfully to extend your kingdom.
Now with every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna pray for those that yet have not made a decision to follow Jesus. You haven't yet prayed a prayer, you haven't asked Jesus into your life, but today you're here and you know that you need to walk with Jesus. This idea of walking with purpose in every step doesn't happen without Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who sets the path. Jesus is the one who gives you the power to walk that path. And it's when you find Jesus is when you find your purpose. The very presence of God today, I wanna pray for some people and you're acknowledging, I, I wanna pray this prayer, Pastor. And I'm not gonna embarrass anyone today, so I wanna do this with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're saying, Pastor, I need you to pray for me, I'm gonna count you in this prayer. But while I'm not gonna embarrass you, I do wanna acknowledge you. So if you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I need you to pray for me, just right where you are, just give me a wave so I know who this prayer is for. Right across this place, if you're saying, yes, include me in this prayer, I wanna know Jesus, yeah, give me a wave. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, yes, yes, yes. Who else all across this place? Just give me a wave so I can see it. Yep, I see that up the back. I see that on the right. Over here on the right in the riser, yes. Who else, who else, who else? Yes, in the middle, yes, I see that, I see that. I'm just trying to acknowledge every hand. I'm scanning all the way across. Anybody else, anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, yes, I see that. Bold decision, thank you. My goodness, God, you see each and every hand, every life. God, you see every person. And God, I'm so glad that you meet us right where we're at. I'm so glad that we can come to you as we are, that you accept us with our flaws, our faults, and our failings, God, that You accept us just as we are. I pray Your power upon each and every person right now. Lord, that You would fill them with the same boldness to respond to You, that You would fill them with Your grace. Lord, that You would ignite within them a purpose and You reveal it by Your Spirit. God, we thank You that Your presence is here. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.